The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome into the Drum Candy Podcast. This is episode 15 of season two, and this is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In this special episode, I have my good friends David Throckmorton and Tom Went back in the studio, and we are going to share 10 of our favorite tracks featuring the great, great Brian Blade on drums. Brian Blade came on the scene in the early 90s as part of the resurgence of traditional jazz with the, uh, his work with the Joshua Redman Quartet and his appearance on Kenny Garrett's records, really reintroduced uh, traditional acoustic jazz music to a whole new generation, myself included, and he's since gone on to become one of the most significant and influential drummers of all time. You can hear him working with the Wayne Shorter Quartet and with his own band of fellowship, and um, he's played with Seal on a pop pop tour and a record. He's got a cool project called Black Dub with Daniel Lenoir and Trixie Whitley where he's playing more groove music. Um, he's really, really fun, fun to listen to. If you haven't dug into Brian Blade's discography, you're in for a real treat. We are just barely scratching the surface here. So let's get to it with 10 Reasons to Love Brian Blade. Uh, <clears throat> 10 Reasons to Love Brian Blade. I had a hard time with this one myself. Um, I haven't listened to Brian Blade in years, honestly. When we, when we decided to do this, I realized he meant so much to me, high school, college, a few years after that, that I had to stop listening to him. Mm-hmm. So I started like, Acting like him <laughs> on the kid. I but, hadn't. I I don't listen to him too regularly either. So I had to go back and listen to stuff that I hadn't listened to in a while, which was a lot of fun. It was great. So I don't know if this is anything to talk about this, but we're the same age, mm-hmm. and Brian Blade to me was so important because I didn't really know what straight ahead jazz was, or I couldn't comprehend it until he arrived in 1992. And just the sound of the records, they sounded new and clean and. And the stuff he was doing with with Joshua Redman, <clears throat> they were playing all these standards. Like all of a sudden, I know who Sonny Rollins is. It was like yeah. my gateway. Um, so I'm curious, like for you, Brian Blade, what did he represent? Because you were already into jazz for years at this point. Uh, yeah, I think for me, I he was one of the new guys, one of the young guys, um, and you know, I I was already into the older stuff before that. Um, so he was just sort of like one of the, like for me at that time in the early 90s, it was like him and Greg Hutchinson and Bill Stewart. You know, they were kind of like the new guys on the scene. Then you had guys who were a little older who I already knew about. So for me, he was just sort of like this this really amazing. Like a little new era of yeah. this new, these new, I feel, I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Although I wasn't as well versed by 92 and as many older drummers as you as you are. I wasn't well. Even though I'm a few years then, older. You but know I was I, mean? ju- I was just into that <clears throat> stuff. Yeah. You know. I for me, I just that's just how I came to the music was getting into the older stuff first. But a lot of people, they start where they are and then they go back, which mm-hmm. is fine. It's just a different way to do it. But you're right, it's he represents something a little bit different for yeah, you. Yeah. It's I. like a he was a turning point for me to get out of fusion and modern rock and indie rock and like, yeah. oh, here's acoustic music. When I heard that Redman Vanguard record, live mm-hmm. at the Vanguard. Yep. I was like, "Oh, this is live music." Yep. You know, that's how the drums should sound doing this stuff. That that record made a big impression on a lot of young guys back mm-hmm. then. I mm-hmm. remember when that came out. <clears throat> pardon me. And yeah, it was definitely a it was a a big 
turning point right, yeah. for a lot of younger guys. Kind of, he arrived on the perfect time. If you think like 1992 was his first like record, and music industry was exploding in 1992. Yep, like. All of a sudden, record labels had so the CD was the new medium, and yep. they were making billions of dollars. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, they had a budget for their jazz department, mm-hmm. you know, and they were, these artists were getting like real contracts. Well, a lot of those younger guys, that was that you know, a lot of people talk about Winton and Branford in the early '80s. That was like the first part of that, but then mm-hmm. around '90, '91, '92, '93, that was like the second wave of like Young, young Lions, Lions. Yeah, yeah, you know, Roy Hargrove and all those guys. Yeah, Josh so, Redman, Joshua Redman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was a you know that was a big thing back then. I remember. I remember it. It was exciting. I remember, you know, buying Roy Hargrove's "The Vibe" and the, mm-hmm. and it was like, wow, these are like young guys who are playing mm-hmm. like this, and mm-hmm. they're really good. And it was it was exciting. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just a bunch of old people. You know, the yeah. artwork was was fresh. It was everything. Yep. They invested in everything. So they for did. me, as a as a teenager trying to figure out how to play this instrument, like that's absolutely that's the path. And yep. then I just traced it all backwards. Yep. Yeah. What was the first thing you heard? Um, the first thing I heard was probably Black Hope, mm-hmm. Kenny Garrett's mm-hmm. record. Which I think was his first credit. I'm not sure if that's the first or not. Yeah, but, I don't but, know what it is. Exactly but I, I'd been, I'd really enjoyed Kenny. One of my best friends growing up was an alto player, so he was, he loved Kenny as well. And I loved Kenny and, um, you know, I'd been listening to a bunch of Tane already with Branford and Winton and some Bill Stewart with like Sco and <clears throat> anything I could find with him. And, and I got really into... Um, is it the first thing you're playing? Mm-hmm. I got really into um, the Black Hope record with Joe Henderson on there, and and then uh, I believe what we're playing now came out, and this is probably one of my favorite 25 albums ever. You know, um, this Kenny Garrett record trilogy, just playing saxophone trio with Blade, and I just kind of fell in love with everything about him. Mm-hmm. You know, I just felt like it was. You know, related to people I loved already, whether it be Elvin or Blakey or or Tane, even you know, um, I'm not saying that it's all coming out of Tane, but I, I could I could trace it. I could lump it in the same sure. ballpark as a young. You know, I was probably you know when this came out, I was probably twenty or nineteen or twenty. Because Tane had played with. Kenny Garrett prior to this, correct? He may have played with him, but the records he made with him were after. Oh, was it after? Yeah. After was Blades it after? records, yeah. Late, mid, late, well, later 90s. Yeah, Songbook Song was like book. two records after this. Mm. Um, but yeah, I heard this stuff, and then I started just trying to find other stuff he was on, you know? And um, later, as we get through all this this list, you know, he started playing a lot more straight eighth music and even some groove music and rock music and singer-songwriter stuff, but... This kind of four or five year period when he was playing a little more straight ahead stuff like the Redmond stuff, this record, the the the, the Coltrane tribute with Kenny Garrett, mm, pursuance, yeah. There's pursuance. a there's a Kevin Hayes record I always rave about. Oh yeah, Seven Cents. I, That's a I good. I love record. the way he sounds on that record. Yep. Um, kind of this this era of Blade, you know, the live Redmond, you know, like the, that was the first record I heard was the live. Mm-hmm. Mm. And for me, it's a little strange because he, in in a way, Brian Blade for me. It, early on got kind of lost in the shuffle with all that stuff that was happening. Like I heard that live record and I really liked it. I was like, man, this guy plays really well, but I didn't spend a ton of time checking him. There was all, there were all these other guys that I was listening to. Um, And even though I really liked him, it took a while for me to go like, okay, let me, let me really check this out. Mm. You know? Yeah. It wasn't immediate. I I think, you know, 
I kind of came, my dad had a lot of jazz records. I'd heard a lot of bebop drumming and post-bebop drumming, you know. Um, and Blade, you know, I loved Elvin, and I could always hear this kind of connection to Elvin and Blade's playing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, a lot of that rolling stuff and, like, and even, like, the the intensity at times mm-hmm. and, like, the the grunts and, like, the, you know, explosive elements to his playing. It just kind of hit me on an emotional level mm-hmm. where sometimes maybe like younger drummers that were coming more out of bebop it it sounded a little more maybe i equated it with even older music sure. or, or being clean and sure. and really a lot of snare drum you know rudimental kind of playing and there's some of that with this but like there i just love this organic kind of rawness that i got from his thing i thought it felt good i always liked the sound mm-hmm. even from early on yeah so why don't we play some of this and and yeah. This is get us talking about Corian said off of Kenny Garrett's trilogy. thinking about like, when i listen to this record sure blade's killing and i love it but i'm so into kenny he sounds great on <laughs> do you know and it's like i was just thinking about that when you said that it's like <clears throat> and we put that track on the, the the tony williams episode that i picked off of nefertiti it's like as soon as miles started soloing you pulled the fader down i was like oh man i want to hear miles <laughs> play over this you know and that's such a big part of all this is is the yeah. co- the connection between these musicians and how much you learn from the the not from the non-drummers mm-hmm. like i feel like i've learned so much from listening to triology over and over just stealing ideas from kenny garrett i'm not even thinking about it they just mm-hmm. they just creep into your playing yep. phrases and melodic ideas that's why it's know? important to listen because there's stuff you're getting that you don't even know you're getting yeah um, you know that being said the symbol he plays on this record sounds really good yeah, <laughs> yeah I love his sounds his sound to yeah. me it's it's the earthiness to it that I I, I crave like mm-hmm. I think a lot of mod, like jazz drums are really clean and crisp and I love that but there's like something oh it's a thing gritty sure. to his yeah. sound yeah that I've always been chasing yeah what a record, man. 1995, I think, is when that came I think out. It's earlier than that. I think it's earlier, yeah. Is it 93? I don't know the exact year. I just think it's a tiny bit earlier than yeah. that. Yeah. Crazy. What a good record. And I'm pretty sure there's a mistake on that record that I love. The beat gets flipped. I think it might be in Giant Steps they, they for like beat, a second. They flipped the beat on um, Countdown. Countdown. On the first track on the, the end of Countdown gets flipped. Yeah, and yeah. And Kenny just... 
or blade jumps on it like instantly. Yeah, instantly. Yeah, that's one of my favorite. And that's yeah. the thing. Like, don't ever think about editing that out. Yeah, that's just humans communicating. That's yeah. exactly. It. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no. That's no. Sure. That's it. That's it. That's yeah, fine. It's yeah. not supposed to be perfect. <laughs> and flipping the beat around. <laughs> it, it happens. Oh I mean, man, it happens. Yeah. It happens. But, you know, I mean, it's yeah. So the next one is one I'd never heard before. This is a Mark Gross record, Riddle of the Sphinx. Yeah, I think this is from. I think this, this is, is from, you. Yeah, I don't know this. This is a good record. This is from. I think it's from two thousand. I think. Um, I found ninety nine is whatever on on. Okay, before you play it, you said Mark Gross. Who's Mark Gross? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Y'all don't know who Mark Rose is? I don't know who Mark Rose is. He's an alto player, a saxophone player? I don't know him. He's a good player. Yeah. He's I've done a lot of he's done a lot he's done a lot of interesting stuff. I'm excited because I have another a new record to buy. I, I, I kind of stumbled on this sort of by accident years ago. And I really like it's a great band, Mulgrew Miller. I think Daryl Hall plays bass. And I picked this tune. This is one of Mulgrew's. Is great John Oates on it too? I don't think. I'm joking. Daryl Hall. Hall and Oates. I apologize. <laughs> You just took one. me out of my whole Sorry. train of thought. <laughs> hey, I, I'm learning. I'll quit being silly. I'm, I'm excited to hear this. He plays alto, you said, Mark? Yes. Mark Gross? Okay. <laughs> so this is a tune that, that Mulgrew wrote called Eastern Joy Dance, which is a great tune. And this is what we're going to hear is there's this little intro, and then Blade sort of sets up the groove. It's like an Afro-Cuban 6-8. But the way he sets it up, his little – it's just – it's mu- it's beautiful and musical, and in the way he's playing is very much him on this. So that's kind of why I chose it. Yeah, I'd never heard this one before. It's Here good. We go. that little diddly cymbal thing yeah. Yeah. such a blade thing yeah. <laughs> but the sound he's getting is beautiful and you know he it's a short little setup but it's sort of it's nice it, it introduces the tune really well you know and it's just is the whole record kind of like world influenced kind of that's a I believe that's Khalil Kwame Bell who's playing uh, percussion a, yeah a, additional percussion yeah that's dope it's a nice record it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking this album out yeah but that was that was one of the 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 records I went back to after not l- hearing it for for a long time and I was you know it's like man he really sounds wonderful on it you know there we go did not know that existed me neither <laughs> I like, I like <laughs> finding out about new stuff yeah number three we have Chris Potter gratitude another record I don't didn't know oh this did is, I pick this or you picked this I picked I didn't it. you picked it. this yeah. okay yeah um, 
and this is this is actually what we're going to hear is just the intro to the tune, like right before the melody, and he's playing mallets on it. And what I love about this is again, the sound he's getting out of the drums and cymbals is really beautiful. And he again he he's capturing the essence of the tune like right away, you know. Like sometimes, I mean, we all know, like you've been in situations where it takes a minute to sort of find that, you know, and it's like right away he's just on it. And there's there's little things that he does on the cymbals that he's just getting the most beautiful sounds out of it, you know. Such a master at getting the sound that he wants out of the instrument. Yeah. You know. I and, love this record, man. Yeah, it's it's he the music so is really good. great on this. So that's that's kind of why I chose it. It's just the the incredible sound and just the mood that he just mm. sets right away for it. All right, check it out. First minute of gratitude. thinking this is ridiculous but i said in the tony episode that i feel like he makes it sound easy like everyone could do that and mm-hmm. it's kind of effortless i feel like he makes me sweat even when he's playing quiet you mm-hmm. know there's so much invested in every note it's yeah. so exhausting i feel the be, same way yeah. about him like yeah like there's so much um if you watch him play i mean i mean all tons of great players like this but you feel like he's like completely invested in every Every, note he's everything. playing like every everything. even when he's not playing it's like it's like <laughs> yeah. so much yeah i agree love and passion in yep. it, and it's just it's contagious you're like man look at this yeah you even know? though he's kind of floating over all that it's it's like he means every little yeah. thing that one hi-hat set up that this sets up the arrangement and right before chris potter plays his first note he hits one of his cymbals and it's just this beautiful just this little <laughs> and it's just like you know <laughs> yeah like how perfect is that you know yeah, it was just really beautiful, you know. I, I think that's, for me, that's one of the things I appreciate about him is, as you just said, the attention to detail and the full investment, but just the sound quality. Yeah, you know? I think so many non-drummers, he's one of their favorite drummers. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because there's just so much musicality and sure. beauty to the sound and the feel. Yep. And um, I'm sure he's super easy to play with, I can you know, I can oh, only imagine. yeah. yeah. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. 
From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. You picked John Patitucci, mm-hmm. Song, Stories, and Spirituals. Oh, wow. Um, I don't have the title of the song. I, for, um, I forget the title of the song. I forgot to write it down. Uh, I'll bring it up, and it'll tell us. It is... I'm terrible with titles. Now the River. Yeah, that sounds right. Man, I don't know this. Okay. So why'd you pick this one? Well, there's a bunch of these records, John, with Blade. This is the first one, um, or the second. He was in like one track on one one record. I think on like Communion, maybe. But this record, he's on the whole record. Edward Simon on piano. And um, then there was a couple records after this. Um, with John and, and Brian. Um, One of the records they, I chose, they're together. Yeah. yeah. Well, they play in Wayne's group together, yeah. obviously, and yep. became a, you know, they play a lot together. Um, this record's nice. There's a lot of different style tunes on this record. Um, some tunes with vocalists, some tunes that are just piano trio. Um, this is like the end of the tune. They go back to this kind of thing that's played earlier in the song, and Blade just starts kind of doing some of his... Magic over it, <laughs> and it's just really—it's even more effective if you like hear everything that came before it, right. and how yeah, this yeah, payoff yeah, is. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not sure if it'll hit as hard just jumping right. right to it. But did you guys see the shorter band? I saw them once. I never saw that band. I never saw that band either. It was an experience. It was almost like overwhelming. Like I don't know what I'm listening to. Yeah, because they were on such a different telepathic level. Like, yeah. what, you, what is happening right it's now? It's a really interesting group. Yeah. It is a very interesting group. I will say real quick, um, a couple of years after this came out, maybe... I don't what year was this? It's like early 2000s. Three. 2003. 2003, yeah. okay. Um, but I saw John play at Dizzy's Coca-Cola in, in New York. I'm not sure what year it would have been. Maybe it could have been 2011, 12. I'm not sure. And um, it was just trio. He had this record called Remembrance, oh, which is yeah. a trio record with Lovano and Blade and Patatucci, which is, I love that record. And I'd never seen Lovano live. I'd seen Blade a few times, but it was the first time seeing him like where I was sitting like eight feet away from him. Mm-hmm. And there was no PA. Like You were just hearing the drums. Yeah. And I remember just being completely floored by his sound. Wow. Like, like being that close, I was like, wow, this is really special. It was like, it was emotional. Like I was wow. like, this is... I was going through some weird stuff in my life at that time, just some changes in my life. And I remember just like hearing Joe put air through a saxophone from in the six room. feet away yeah. and John playing, you know, and Brian, it was like just the sound of that was crazy. That's cool. So anyway, this is some of the same kind of vibes here at the end of this piece. Cool. Was it quiet? Quiet at times. Yeah. Yeah. Very dynamic. up and down, mm-hmm. very dynamic. All right, check it out. Oh, 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 
cool, you know? That's killing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Electric bass. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. It sounds great, though. <laughs> yeah, even that trio record with Levano, like it's some of it's electric, some of it's acoustic. Yeah, no, it's kind of cool. It's great. Yeah, that's the, um, I guess, what year was this? Early 2000s. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the the transition into his explosion mode. Mm-hmm. Like this is where he started doing that thing. Wayne's band too is a lot of that. Yeah, it was just it was like whoa, and then back yeah. down real fast. <laughs> yeah, real light, fast stuff with like this that weird giant symbol. symbol. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I think it's you like a broken bell or something. It's yeah. super crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes that stuff reminds me of Blakey a little bit. Like 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 the sure. just like huge symbol hits. Sure. Like whoa or Elvin. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I saw him with Shorter, he had something on his left that was, like, the weirdest. You would have loved it. It was this weird, like, like, what did it do? It just, like, distorted. Like, what are you hitting? What wow. Is that? wow. <laughs> like, what is that thing? Yeah. John Petitucci always has really interesting projects that he that he does. Yeah. He it writes was, great tunes. He does, man. Yeah. They're great tunes, and it's always very, like, you never, it, it could almost be anything. It's, mm-hmm. it's really. Yeah, genre-less in a lot yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's, they did a record. There's like four or five of these John records in a row that had played, and one has all this like kind of classical influence. Yes, he's you into know? that too. And, and the one was like a two guitar band, like yep. two, two electric guitars, bass, yep. drums. They're always like these little new, really interesting. Yeah, and there's and they all have a common thing where you're like, man, I've heard this before, but it's yeah, brand new. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Does that make any sense at all? No, no, yeah, yeah. I admire that about him. That who, was great, man. I got to check that record out. Who chose Joel Weisskopf? So you change in my life. There's been a change in my life as the track. This is that crisscross record. Yeah, I have this record. And, yeah. and John's on this. Yep. And I was going back and just listening to stuff that he was on, and I I remember this. And the reason I chose this, well, let's let's play it, and then I'll tell you why. <laughs> All right, I gotta cue it up first. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, take your time. <laughs> Forty-seven seconds in. Yeah. I spent all morning listening to nothing but crisscross jazz records with Blade on it. He's on a bunch. Because I didn't know any of these records. Mm -hmm. Some of them are really good. All right, here we go. So the reason I picked that was, first of all, he sounds wonderful, and it's very much him. But if you if if we were to go back and listen to that again, he's kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've heard so many, so many drummers who like him try to do that, 
and it sounds terrible. I was going to say the same thing. It's dangerous. Yeah. He's he's literally one of the only guys that can do that, and it's like, that sounds beautiful. Yeah. But when you hear a drummer try to play like that, it's like, what are they doing? You know? But he when he does it, it's like it's musical and beautiful and it's I couldn't agree more. <laughs> That's yeah. why I chose it. I was thinking that exact thing as this was playing. Like, this is dangerous because you yeah. you think you can do this. No. But you know what though? Uh-huh. Like it, it, it That's right. It, if you're not a real really listening though, it just like you said, like it just sounds easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so in a way, of if you're course. just not really paying attention, it just sounds like great playing. And it is great playing. It is. But I've yeah, there. That's what's great about but, him. He he can go all these different places. No, absolutely. And it just feels this this beautiful it's natural, flow never gets yes. uh, disrupted. Yes. But so many drummers hear that and they go, "Wow, that's cool. I got to do that." And yeah. then they try it, and it's it's just like a mess. He doesn't keep time that whole minute, really. No, not, not until really. right where we fade it out. Right, does he start to actually right. Play time. But that's why I chose it because it's he's all over the place. But the way he does it is so like you said, it works. That flow is just it's natural yeah. and it's very. Well, I man, I like. I used to, I, mean, I came up really into all these like, you know, like the Weckl Vinny kind of fusion. Sure. Era. Like I was really into those guys, and I still love those with those guys. Like the you know, some of the guys that tried to play that way, I felt like they were missing. It's kind of what you're saying about Blade. They were missing like what it really was. Yes. They just hear the the stuff around the toms, and they don't realize like it, it feels great. Mm-hmm. And the sound is good. And it's musical. It's not just licks and check me out. Right. It, and, and also, that music, um, it's okay to play that way with that music. Right. But if you hear Vinny or somebody like that play a pop gig, they're not going to be playing that stuff. Exactly. And if you hear Blade play a pop gig, even if he does get a little um, wild, it's musically it's appropriate. Super musical. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I remember first hearing, not first hearing him, but the first time I heard him play with Seal in the oh, late wow. 90s. Mm, yeah. On TV, I was like... Huge fan of that. It was killing. Huge And it was cool that. because he was playing these gigantic cymbals like he plays playing jazz, like a 24 and a 22. Wow. And I remember thinking, like, man, it's, is that stuff going to translate through with all these loud electric guitars and keyboards and, like, tracks? Mm-hmm. And it sounded great. And now all you see is guys using giant cymbals. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like he was kind of... Wow. Ahead of the curve with all of that's it. That's amazing. Wow. And it's also with all the vintage drum stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like Blade, yeah. I feel like is yeah. like was really yes tra- a trendsetter for that. A lot of guys that do it don't even realize yeah that, that he was with such a big impetus. part of that. Yeah, yeah. And they don't get as good as uh, sound as, as he sound, does. Yeah, or play as well. But that's why I chose that because <laughs> it's like there's so many younger drummers who try to do that, and it's just I- I'm not trying to be negative, but it just doesn't work. Yeah, but when I mean, he does it, it's that. That music. I don't think you can overstate that Patatucci's on bass. Yes. In all these records, he's got McBride or someone who's just yeah, great musician. Really never going to let go mm-hmm. of, of yes of it. Yeah. <laughs> and they know how to play behind that. They're yeah, not exactly. going to panic. You know, yeah. I mean, John played with Vinny. John played with Weckl. John yeah, played with they can hear it. Paul Motion. John yeah. played with you know Bill Stewart. Yes. You know all these guys. Yeah. Tane. He knows how, yep. how to deal with that. Yeah, you know? exactly. You know, that's a good. Point. I play with guys where you're like, you're like. What can I get away with with this person? Yeah, how far? And you're you like, push okay, I gotta stay home. Or gonna, <laughs> yep. you know, yeah, yeah. The drum that we should do an episode on drum bass hookups. Yeah. Oh man, I think it's not discussed enough to find your your kindred sure. <laughs> low end. Oh, that's a good. That's... And I feel like that 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 same hookup feeling it translates to the other instruments as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's oh, not totally. just bass. But obviously, that's super important. Oh, you have a relationship well, you with a, everybody. Yeah. Right? Yep. 
when you find a singer you like playing with or, or, or a guitarist or sure. a horn player, it's like, man, ooh, we can really in play different together. In different musical genres, like in, in pop and rock, the drummer-singer thing. Mm-hmm. In jazz, not just bass, but the drummer and the pianist. Mm-hmm. Drummer and a horn. You know what I mean? There's all these different relationships that help make the music what it is. Yeah. Well, we're going to move on to my first pick, which was this record that came out in 2006, Wolfgang Bootspiel, hmm. Friendly oh. Travelers. Is this a duo record? Yeah. Man, I don't know this. I'm curious. Yeah. I love this record because it's a duo. It's guitar and drums, mm. electric guitar, so he's doing like an octave pedal, so he's kind of... I've heard about this, but I've not, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard this I think before. it's for me, it's the, one of the best examples of studying his sound because there's nothing else. Yeah. It's just drums and guitar. Yeah. Um, and this one, this tune is called End on Four. And it's where Wolfgang just kind of lays down sort of a vamp, and Brian just does Brian. Um, this whole record is is really pretty cool. It's easy. It's easy on the ears. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're like not a huge fan of of jazz, this it's, is a good one to, to get cool. into. Yeah, man. All right, so here we go. This is it. We're starting three minutes and twenty nine seconds into end on four. Cool. Yeah. Killing. I got to check that out. And so, like, that could only be him, you know? Yeah, no. Yeah. Like, no one else sounds You'd like that. You have to imitate him to play that tune. Mm-hmm. And I, for all of these, I almost wanted to pick videos because yeah. there's a live version oh, yeah. of this that was documented to see the two of them, the way they just interact. You know what's cool about the video, too, of, of this band? It's like the first time I saw a video of Blade playing, like, factory cymbals. Do you remember that? Oh, that's right. Oh, wow. He's playing like normal catalog Zildjian cymbals. That's right, yeah. And I don't know if, if he had something he kind of liked that he just brought because he didn't want to bring his, his gems. Yeah. Or if he just played something that was there. And it sounds exactly like Brian Blade. It does. It does. He's yeah. like a special dry ride. Right. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's right. It's a special and I was like, dry. I was like, wow, I've never seen him play. Like, not like that big 24 or whatever. Wow. And you're right. It's a beautiful study in his sound. You can hear all of the everything, the little minutiae, the Barry versus not the mm-hmm. Barry, all, all the, the air, the bass drum, the snare drum, all the different colors he's mm-hmm. getting. That's I got to check that out. That's it's really a great good. record. He did several of them. I think this first one is the best one. Two thousand six. Mm-hmm. Wow, cool man. Well, another next one is another one of mine. This is Brian. Oh no, it's not. We are going to Dave Benny, Edward Simon. Ah. Oceanos, impossible question. Who chose this? Me. This shit is ridiculous. 
Um, <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> what's that? Tell us how you really feel. I mean, it's just amazing. I've man. heard some of this, but I don't. I don't know if I've heard. There's of a this. bunch of Benny records with um, yeah. with Blade in general, and then um, at some point, Dan White started being on a, a mm-hmm. bunch of them. He yeah. he plays amazing on these as well. They're really different. And there's a record where they both they play double drums too, which is oh. cool. Oh, I yeah. never heard that. Graylin Epicenter. It's really Ooh. cool. Anyway, um, I've talked about this before with people like people coming out of like the fusion element. I always kind of <laughs> it's just part of my experience. But like a lot of people, they talk to me about like Vinnie and Weckl. It's like my thing is like you can learn a lick or something, but try playing like that in the studio with the chart playing this hard music and coming up with this stuff. And I always feel that way about Blade with Benny. It's really interesting writing. It it sounds easy, as you said earlier, with Tony or with Blade, mm-hmm. but it's hard music. Yeah, yeah. And he navigates it so effortlessly and does the stuff you're talking about. Like, he's not just playing time. He's, he's just going on this journey. It's always so dynamic, so musical. Yeah. Really cool stuff, man. Cool. This is kind of like, kind of like some of the stuff he's doing in that um, Patatucci track, where he's kind of playing over some stuff. Yeah. But there's another crisscross jazz again. These yeah. these records I totally missed. There's first two. Time there's two of these David Benny Edward Simon records. There's another one. Yeah. Called like, excuse my like, I don't speak another language. It's like a Finidad or something like that. Oh I, yeah. However you would pronounce that. Yeah. And it's similar to this. Really great. Um, these records are recorded really well too. That engineer Max Bowman is is he always gets it. It's just such a great. This thing. is nice too because it's like basically a quartet record, right? But there's like like a horn section like that plays these like stuff kind of like how mm. some of Sco's records have like yeah. a brass section. Yeah, it says that and there's a little percussion. Um, I can't remember in this section if we're gonna hear that. We might check it out. Yes, yeah, super dope. This is uh, impossible question. long piece like it, <laughs> nine it, minute it, getting to that like at the end it's it's really beautiful i gotta check that record out i i, I that's that's really nice and there's i mean i think there's like six or seven i know there's a bunch records with blade they're they're all amazing yeah i've heard a couple but i i not mm-hmm. i haven't really checked them out i gotta check them out that's really cool i was listening to one of those crisscross record i think it was a ralph bowen record yeah that i'd never heard the I, don't blade was that, on. I don't have the rough bone when i've I, yeah i've been looking for that but they're just playing standards and i think it, to me that was like 
oh, this is what he sounds like when he just shows up and plays. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no rehearsal. They're playing Invitation or whatever. Like, that's what he would sound like if he played the local gig. Yeah. It's fun to hear guys like that in that setting where it's not all arranged and, you you know, Mm -hmm. when they're just getting it. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the next one, this is the one I picked. So I am a huge fan of the way Blade plays pop music or groove music. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. And there was a record that came out. I can't believe it was 2010 already, but Black Dub. Oh, I love that record. See, I saw I that band live. Either. This is good. You saw them live? Yeah. Oh, it in must Pittsburgh, have been they played this like they played in Nick's Fat City. Really? Yeah. And so then, who's in the? I, I don't know. This. Daniel Lanois and, and Trixie, Trixie Whitley, Whitley was there, and this guy on bass. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know his name. That it's sounded like a diss. Well, he there was no nice. bassist. He sounded nice. <laughs> and and Trixie Trixie really played like double drums on a couple tunes. Nice. And Blade was playing like a four piece kit with one cymbal, and it was it was like forty people there. Yeah. Wow. And it was killing. Wow. Yeah. That's killing. Cool. That's really so. Cool. I'm also a huge fan of of Lanois productions. Like it's yeah. always ear candy. There's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. All, so in this you know, track, he recorded the first. Uh, fellowship record did you know that oh that's right sorry I almost played something off that Mm -hmm. record yeah I don't know why I didn't pick anything on that record either yeah I almost did but uh, so there's like some ear candy like you'll hear there's like a second drum part in the right ear that's real light you can really only hear it with headphones but just the way he plays and also again the the live version of this is so much different because they they recorded all this stuff live first and then made the record so there's a live video of them in the studio playing this Sounds totally different. Wow. This is like heavily produced version. Okay. So this is um, Nomad. tempted to pull up the live version because it's so different that's he's bad big drums open tuning he, he so good he's one of my favorite drummers for this kind of music man he, he you know he kind of reminds me like on that that sounds like that sounds like pistol allen on like a stacks track yeah or you know what i mean it's slinky yeah he still throws in things and let yep. you know that he knows what he's There's doing like a little i mean like they don't sound like Kind of sounds like some of the stuff Steve Jordan's done, but 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 different. Mm-hmm. They sound different. Yeah, yeah. But he, it's funny, man. Like I won't name this guy, but a really good friend of mine, who I play with all the time, and uh, we were talking about Blade the other day, and uh, I was saying how much I love his groove playing, and I was like, he's like, what do you like about it? And I was like, man, it's just great. His sound is amazing. Yep. He he grooves like crazy. I kept saying he grooves like crazy, and then I said, man, he's really funky. And then the guy goes, is he? <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, he's really funky." Yeah, he is. And this is a guy I normally agree on like a lot of stuff That's with. That's funny. And I'm like, dude, I you mean, know, I'm like, got, he's really funky, man. He sounds great on that. That's that New Orleans thing, man. It's unmistakable. Yeah, 
that that that's the other thing about him is that comes through at just the right times you know like all of a sudden you hear and you go "Ooh, there it is you know which is really cool and i love there's like little videos online and playing with land wallach little clips of sessions and stuff like you said it might just be some random like like a 28 inch bass drum (laughs) and a floor tom and a snare and a hi-hat and you're just like one mic yeah it's like it's all there yeah he could play that all day that's cool yeah yeah that's that record i think got grossly overlooked it's a great record yeah it's good i gotta check that out that's really i'm getting new stuff this is good man we're moving into 2018 who chose um still dreaming me oh yeah so yeah. this is the this um, is a great record josh redman um who else is on this scott coley brian blade miles who's Miles? ron miles ron, who ron just miles. passed away unfortunately great yeah, very musician sad. um tom and i saw this band live a couple years ago dave king was subbing for blade mm. who did a really really beautiful job it on the great. gig um you know part of this i was just trying to get something more current because a lot of my a stuff good is record right. though man. and um you know this is obviously like josh's nod to old new dreams and ornette's band josh's dad dewey played with old new dreams mm-hmm. um josh's dad's a great saxophone player and and uh, that's one of our favorite groups yeah is, is that band i love totally that and yeah. this is a cool record because they're doing that and I'm really happy that's now with Ron I'm so happy I got to see Ron play the stuff live and with him passing away it's like I'm glad this album exists I I remember when we heard them live one of the things that I loved about that was Ron and Josh playing together they had a really great relationship beautiful I mean it was the sounds they got were really amazing yeah I agree man so why'd you pick this particular track I just I just thought um I don't know. I, I love the whole record. I just thought, like, this is cool. Like, I wanted to pick something grooving. Mm. Like, I almost picked something off of Elastic. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. More, like, electric. So did I almost. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick this because I thought maybe somebody would have. You did pick some groove stuff. Yeah, yeah. So this is just, you know. Elastic was a weird one where I hated it at first because I was so into straight. I wanted to hear him swing. Yeah. But then after a while, I was like, this is I I, this I was is a little so weird yeah. on it at first, too. And then instantly like a couple days later i was like this is kind of killing yeah yeah and i loved hearing him play like the dead like a 22 inch sound and bass drum oh, yeah. Like, and he i was like man he can do this too he can play like this he he's, plays a freak man he's incredible <laughs> well this is a uh, new year mm-hmm. off of still dreaming
some of that stuff you were talking about. Beautiful, man. Yeah. I forgot we were doing a podcast for a I know. Yeah. It's, it, you know, <laughs> it's funny, man. That, that, that tune is almost like the mellow sister of Happy House. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. So that is a old and New Dreams tune that they would often play? I don't think so. No. Is, that a, a, is that a Redmond tune? Or one yeah. of the, it's an original from this project. I think it's from that this band. I believe I mean? so. Yeah, it sounds like so of it, that. It era. sounds like yeah, the, all yeah. the stuff sounds like that. You know, that's I, and I, it was cool live too because they played some stuff, the Ornette, some Ornette yes. stuff and some new old new stuff I hadn't heard on the record. Yeah, I was like, man, this is cool. They're playing all this music really cool. I know, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm so glad they did this project because it's it's really well done and it it's it's worthy of doing. There's a really know? great video of them. Yes. on YouTube, like a 45 mm-hmm. minute video. Um, really well yeah, done. It's it really out. shot Good. well, and you get to hear it. I'm hoping that maybe they release maybe, with Ron maybe, gone. Yeah. Maybe there's like another session I don't know about, or, or maybe they'll put a live record. Oh, out. it'd be so it'd great! Be so great! Yeah. I would love to hear a live record of them. You know, just because it's for everything we just said. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. So you mentioned um, you saw this band, but Dave King was playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think three times I went to see a band hoping Brian would be on drums, and he wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, were you like, oh, I wish it was Brian? I, I found Dave out like great, a day or two before, I think. Knew, I think. I, I, but I was hoping to see Brian because I love Brian. And then I found out Dave was on. I was like, oh, this would be cool. Dave did a great job. Yeah, really nice job. He time. really played the stuff well, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was very different, but still really good. It happened to me with the Redmond Quartet, and it was when Hutch took over full-time. Mm-hmm. It was still amazing, but it was they're very different players. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And then another time I went to see Kenny Garrett. And it was um, Marcus Baylor. Mm-hmm. Also, sounded great, but I was like, I, I didn't because he was my guy, and I hadn't seen him. It's like I'm t- chasing yeah. this dude around. <laughs> yeah, I saw the, the I saw the Redmond group, but with Clarence Penn. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. Was that early? Early. Yep. I saw them at Star Lake. They were oh, opening nice. for Pat Metheny. Amazing. Wow. Paul Wordico was playing. I didn't see him till much later. I didn't. The first yeah. time I saw Blade live was the uh, the Black Dub gig. Interesting. Wow. Which I had been into him forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah never, wow. never had seen him live. Wells yeah. was with me when we saw Joshua. Oh, nice. Anega. Yeah, he was with me. Yep. Yeah, I think I've only I've only seen Blade twice in person. Wow. I, th- I would have thought you saw him more. I know. I only saw him once. He's an enigma because you never know when he's going to show It's true, <laughs> yeah. I, I had to talk to him for a second, and I was, I was a little like – I was a little like – Fanboy, like, I was like, oh no, I'm, I was kind of nervous almost. It doesn't happen much for me. And I, I was, never spoke with him. Is he nice? And, well, I just said, I, I, I was with Paul Wells. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. So he was there the second time I saw him play. <laughs> and we, we were in New York, and we got in the elevator to leave, and he like ran and like hopped in the elevator real quick, and I was like, oh wow, there's Blade. You know? <laughs> and I was like, hey man, like, thanks for everything you do, and you know, he just smiled real big, and was like, thank you, and nice. It was kind of it. I didn't want to bother him. No, that's cool though. But I feel like. If I would have kept talking, he probably would have been like the nicest person That's ever. really cool. <clears throat> That's know? nice to hear. Yeah. So the first time I saw him was an IAJE festival in New York. Wow. Mm-hmm. I don't know, 2000, maybe 2000? With with a band? With Joshua Redman Quartet. Oh. And it was in one of those those terrible ballrooms. Big, yeah. Like hundreds of people. Yep. But it was such an emotional experience to finally see the dude. He was playing the wood hoop drums, black drums with wood hoops at the mm-hmm. time. Wow. And he, he, I mean, that's why I wanted to play videos of the guy because seeing him play the instrument changed. 
the whole experience of Brian Blade. It was I, like I agree going to that. church when that yeah. guy plays drums. Yeah. I remember it made me like jump out of my seat a couple times. Yeah, he has that effect on you. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, what is happening? Yeah. It's weird how his thing changed too. Like some of the early, like the Kenny Garrett stuff, the early Reva stuff. He was sitting higher. Sometimes yes. the snare would have almost like a tilt the yes. other way. Yep. He was playing like a, not to geek out on gear and set no, up. No, it's a gear show. <laughs> but, 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 you know, he, he played like a normal Very traditional, drumstick. Yeah. And then pretty soon after that, all of a sudden, he's sitting crazy Lower. low. The, the, the rack tom and the snare drum are in that, oh, that, yeah. that line that goes up like yep. this. like yep. in, in, uh, Reaching way between his legs. Yeah, way down yeah. low. And, playing, and he started playing those boleros. Yeah, yep. It's like a... Still sounds like Brian Blake. There's a real evolution to but his. But it really changed. Yeah. Like a drastic kind of change happened. I, w- I would love to talk to him and say, what, how made, did that, what yeah. made that happen? You know, Isn't went, it funny how certain guys, they, they have that interesting evolution and other guys, they come out a certain way and that's kind of it. Bill Stewart yeah. yeah, arrived and he is still Bill yes. Stewart. <laughs> yeah, and kind of sounded as good from day one. Right. Not that he hasn't improved in some ways. But he's been Bill Stewart. But he's been like, obviously yes. like killing yeah. from the first time I heard him. That's know? true. It's interesting. Everybody's got their path, which makes it fun, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, when did Blade go from suit to the blue denim shirt? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that too. Yeah. And the the the, the shaved right the ball. yeah went to the hair yeah yeah that's cool that's great well we're gonna wrap up with um, for me it was a starting point with Brian Blade which was the Josh Redman Quartet because they are putting a new EP out in September I, probably I right when this this um, podcast airs so oh, cool rather than go back to some of the back catalog I figured we should listen to the brand new cut there's only one cut available currently great and it's called Disco Ears so this is Joshua Redman. Brad Meldow, Christian McBride. To me, these are my Beatles. You know, they put out a um, yeah. they put a record out like a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty twenty. Yeah, I'm bad. Yep. You know. Yep, exactly. Is so. this a studio project? Yep. Okay, cool. It just they just released the first single like recently. Let's hear it. So I think I picked this this band because to me it's just a band. Every note they play is perfect. So this is just the from the beginning of Disco Ears.
that's my favorite band. People ask me, what's your favorite band? That's my favorite band. It's a good band. <laughs> There's not that much of that band, though. No. Yeah. And that's my favorite. You know? I've been craving it ever since. Wow, I, I need to see them when they go back on the road. I mean, again, there's a lot of other there's the stuff we played after Meldot left and after Christian left, right? Yeah. You know, and then before, like the the Vanguard is before Christian, I think. No, I think it's after. Is it after? I think so. I can't remember. Oh man, I'm drawing. Who knows? And the guys, piano you know, chair changes yeah. out often. Yeah, the piano chair rotated a fair mm-hmm. amount in that. But that's my band. I think they're just and again, Christian's such a strong bass player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that allows Brian to do whatever he wants. It's, and plus, those guys have a history. Yeah. So there's that sure. too. You know. I mean, to be fair, as you, we rarely hear played playing with not good bass players. You know, <laughs> or never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he he shouldn't he should shouldn't never play to. with a bad bass player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd be I would actually love to hear him play with a bad. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are the gigs you need to hear. I would love to hear God, that. Let me hear you struggle through this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Let's see what you got. You know, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just joking. Well, that's Brian Blade again. I think we could go for hours, but that's it. Ten reasons to love Brian Blade. Yeah. yeah man. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Please give us a review and a five star rating on um, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to the show. Make sure you're watching the video form over on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel there. Yeah, and dig into some Brian Blade. We missed so many great records. We didn't even talk about his um, his band fellowship. So have fun digging through the discography of Brian Blade, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>